Well then, what is your favorite hymn? For many people, it would be the hymn that we've just sung together, How Great Thou Art. That's always close to the top of the list. But whatever your favorite hymn is, why is it your favorite hymn? Well, the words, certainly. But also the music, isn't it? God is so wise. We don't think about this much, but God is so wise in that. His people, he calls to worship him in song. And that alliance between the words and the music caused the truth of God to reach deeper into our very hearts and move us to the depth of our being. And that's what happens when you come to church, isn't it? Maybe you've lost your car keys if you're anything like me, or you got a flat tire, or the kids are playing up, and you're a bit grumpy when you arrive for worship. And then the call to worship is heard, and the band strikes up, and you begin to sing, and your heart is lifted because of that wonderful, wonderful truth of God set to music. Derek Kidner, who wrote the wonderful commentary in the Psalms, says this, this Psalm, Psalm 8, is an unsurpassed example of what a hymn should be. Celebrating as it does the glory and grace of God, rehearsing who he is and what he has done, and relating us and our world to him in an economy of words and in a spirit mingled with joy and awe. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David just erupts in worship. The Psalms are the songbook of the Old Testament. There is something powerful and emotional about truth allied to tunefulness. The song begins with the Creator, verses 1 to 2, describing all that He is, and yet whose glory is above the heavens, it's above the heavens, whose creation, verses 3 to 4, inspires awe, who crowns humankind, verses 5 to 9, as the pinnacle of creation. And ultimately, of course, we know as Christians that God does this through Jesus in Matthew 21 in the temple cleansing, takes these words of Psalm 8 and appropriates them to himself. Jesus is the crowning glory of humanity, God made flesh, through whom we are restored in our humanity. And so what we find in Psalm 8 is a repeated pattern of cause and effect. Now we could look at this simply as a kind of literary, literary device, but it's much more than that. Cause and effect number one, God's majestic name and otherworldly glory, verse one, evokes praise and worship from the littlest and the least, verse two. Cause and effect two, David's apprehension of creation, verse three, has a consequent effect upon him, verse four. And he's saying, how can it be that the God who made all this cares, is bound in covenant love? because the word used here is Yahweh, it's the covenant name. How can it be that the God who made all this cares for me? And then thirdly, 
Cause and effect number three, by his divine action, God makes humans as we are for the purpose of crowning us with glory and honor. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful in a day where humanity is spoken of as if we are a, a rash on the face of the planet? But God has made us for his glory. How wonderful. This teaching is meant to do something to us in this psalm. In the words of Graham Kendrick in that hymn that he wrote, I think, back in the 1980s, Christ comes and he lifts our humanity to the heights of his glory. How wonderful. You see, if we grasp what is being taught in Psalm 8, we'll come to see God creation in ourselves in a new way. You know, there is a, a social media group that you can click onto, and it sends you photographs that are chosen by Sir David Attenborough, and they're, they're wonderful. And every day or second day, I, I see one of these beautiful, beautiful photographs of different aspects, about different aspects of creation. But you see, the Christian looks with deeper depth at these things. Because we don't just see the wonder of creation, but that we know the creator. How wonderful to look at creation in that way. The hymn writer put it like this, sky above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green, something lives in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen. This is how the Christian views creation. There's a little painting that my wife and I have in our hallway. And it's not too much to look at, but it's precious to us because we know the artist. And when we see all that God has created, what it is for us to know the creator. Verses one and two, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength or praise because of your foes to silence the foe and the avenger. God is the uncreated creator who by the word of his power calls all that there is into being. He inhabits creation, but he is not all of creation or dependent upon creation like we are. Now this helps us when we speak to people who tell us that they're atheists. Remember years ago listening to John Lennox, I'm sure you've heard of John Lennox saying that he had a kind of kairos moment, a moment when he realized that the God that he was speaking about was not the God that was understood by the people he was speaking to. And so you get questions like, well, who created God? Well, no one created God because he is the uncreated creator. And the God of Israel is not like the made-up gods of men, but the God whose glory is above the heavens, unimaginably glorious, Yet implicit in these verses is not only something unimaginably glorious, but astonishingly personal. David, and it's a detail that's easy to miss, but we ought not to miss it, that David relates to God by name. This unimaginably glorious God reveals himself by name to his people. He is Yahweh. The third chapter of Exodus describes the encounter of Moses with God and in answer to the question, whom shall I say has sent me? God says to Moses, I am that I am. 
is sending you. So is Jesus Yahweh? Yes, he is. For God is one God in three persons. And that's why he triggered people during his ministry when he was challenged. And he said to the Pharisees, before Abraham was born, before Abraham was, I am. And so when the JWs come to your door and tell you that Jesus is not fully God or truly God, they need to ignore a lot of scripture to say that. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have ordained or established strength because of your foes to silence the foe and the avenger. As David sings this grand psalm, I imagine that something is happening as he expresses what he does in this beautiful way. Even the littlest and the least are affected by the truth expressed in the praise. Do you know, I was brought up in a Christian family and in a church in Glasgow. And before ever I came into a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that impressed me, even as a young boy, was the passion of those who praised God in that church. I knew this, that whatever they were doing, they meant it. They really meant it. And I was speaking to someone recently who became a Christian maybe about seven years ago, and that's what she said. Coming into a church, she thought, these people really mean this. They're not just going through the motions. They actually believe this. And that can have a powerful, powerful impact. He is the God that we worship because he is real. Yet these verses are just so personal and so wonderful. Even the littlest and the least be affected by the ambience of this place and the way each of you comes to worship. You know, God is so wise. And in troubled times, during my mid-twenties, I can remember driving along in my car and putting that worship cassette in. Do you remember cassettes? Cassettes, young people, were kind of real-to-real things. Very satisfying when they went wrong because you could get a pencil out and fix it, I remember. Just driving along with good Christian music playing and just being lifted in my very soul. If you're feeling down this morning, if you're feeling down at any time, join in worship. It's so important that we do not neglect coming together in worship because we do something to each other when we do that. You're perhaps feeling wretched one Sunday morning and you drag yourself to St. Peter's and then you look along the row and you see someone who's really worshiping the Lord and you think, I want some of that. That's why it's important that we come together to worship the Lord. But if you can't, then listen to some worship songs. Or here's a radical thing, get a hymn book and sing yourself back to strength. And silence the enemy. David says, O Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, Adon, firm, strong Lord and Master, you have set your glory above the heavens. You see, something happens to us when we worship. It's like 
everything begins to click into place again. And, and the insanity of our world is replaced with the sanity of Scripture. The rightness of worshiping God. O Lord, our Lord, you have set your glory above the heavens. And then comes the consequent impact. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So here's a practical thing. Get your strategy sorted out. Sing a psalm. Develop your playlist on Apple or Spotify. And sing your wee heart out to the God who cares for you. And see what happens. God knows how we are made. And he calls us to worship him in this way. But then secondly, the creator whose creation, verses 3 to 4, inspires awe. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And you see what's happening here. The movement in this psalm is outward from the creator to his wonderful creation. And maybe here David is reflecting upon his days as a shepherd looking after his father's flocks in between fighting off bears and lions at night because this is a nighttime psalm. Can imagine David here lying on his back and looking at the heavens, marveling at the greatness of God. You know, I've heard people saying something like, humans are like microbes in the vastness of the universe. What possible significance can we have as human beings in the vastness of space? Well, the problem with a view like that is, number one, such a view is too small when it comes to considering who Yahweh is. And more to the point here, no sense, there's no sense of the nature of the one who has made all things but reveals himself personally to his people. The kind of God whose greatness, seen in the stars, yet evokes by the work of the Holy Spirit, a response in the heart of David like this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? and the son of man that you care for him. It's a remarkable thing when you think about it, isn't it? The way God has made us, that we can look at the universe and relate to the creator. Mind-stretching. David looks at creation and wonders at God's care. If you're a child of God this morning, and I don't say this glibly, but whatever you're facing, God's got you. You matter to him. Our God is far greater than words can make known. Far greater than words can make known. Exalted and holy, he reigns on his throne. In infinite splendor, he rules over all. Yet he sees the poor sparrow and he knows when she falls. His power is great and will ever endure. His wisdom is peaceable, gentle, and sure. But greater than all these glories I see is the glorious promise that he cares for me. Astonishing. Feeling down? Well, the first of our takeaways this morning is sing God's truth. If you're feeling blue, get out and look at the heavens. 
and know that you mean something to the God who made the Milky Way. And let the awe lead you to worship. Life with a different dynamic. And then lastly, the creator who crowns humankind five to nine as the pinnacle of creation. David says, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. This creator whose name is majestic, whose glory can only be fully known by himself, holds a high view of humanity. Humankind as the pinnacle of creation. Genesis 1, isn't it? And God made man in his own image. He made them male and female, and God looked at that creation and he saw that it was good. Now we are lifted by this thought, aren't we? The value that God places on human beings. And, and we can almost hear the voice of the wonderful Louis Armstrong, I see trees of green and red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself, oh, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day and the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. <sighs> but then we remember last night's news. And it's not all so wonderful, is it? We know that good news seldom makes the news, but we can agree that there's a whole lot of rubbish out there, isn't there? It's one of those images that stays in my mind. About two weeks ago, I was walking along Ward Road, where our church is, and there was just this woman walking along, sobbing it into her cell phone. And that image has just remained with me. I don't know what was going on in her life, but it was something. So much pain that surrounds us. You see, something's wrong and we know it. David is talking about here about humankind in its primal form, for he knew his world and he knew himself. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in heaven, of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. But, but Genesis 1 is followed by Genesis 3. The serpent, the fall, did God really say? And God's vice regents on earth, the primal two, Adam and Eve, listened and the crown slipped. Now, you might be thinking, but why didn't, why didn't you stop a wee bit earlier, Jim? Because we were all very happy. We were all going to leave church all cheerful and go for lunch on this beautiful day and you, you ruined the whole thing for us now by reminding us of, of the sinfulness of those primal two. 
Well, I'm sorry if I burst your balloon. Well, actually, I'm not too sorry. Because it gets better. David knew that one day God would act to change things permanently, eternally, through his line, a son to come, inaugurating an eternal reign and recovering, recrowning a lost humanity. Let me tell you, Easterman is no use unless it leads to Jesus. Now, you might be scanning this text and saying to yourself, well, where, where, is, where is Jesus in Psalm 8? Where is he? Well, he is, humanly speaking, in the loins of David. But it is as we come into the New Testament and we find the Gospels and their genealogies that we make the connections here, but also significantly in the ministry of Jesus. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 21. In verse 12, and we're told there, Matthew 21, verse 12, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared or ordained praise? Do you see what Jesus just did there? He takes the words of Psalm 8 and he appropriates them to himself. As the children cry, these words from Psalm 8 are applied to him. Words of praise to Yahweh, he applies to himself, showing us wonderfully who he is. For he is God's anointed, David's son, God from eternity, come to share our humanity and to lift us up and to, to restore that creational crown fully and completely. And of course, he would do this by taking the place of sinners on that cross and rising on the third day. And the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. And in him, in union with him, we too are and will be fully restored by grace through faith. That makes me happy even on a down day. So are you feeling down? You're saying, well, no, actually. Well, let me comfort you with this thought. One day you will. And when you do, come repenting and believing in Jesus. Sing yourself strong with the truth of your creator. Look at the creation. Get yourself outside and know that the one who spoke all this into being loves you. And behold your Savior. And live in the joy of his salvation. If you're not sure, all I can say to you this morning is this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name.
and all we are. Let's pray.